This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the New Books Network. James Fitzgerald would no more part with those 12 storage boxes than cut off his right arm, for they contained all that was left of Gregory. In a material sense, anyway, his files on lesbian and gay activism, articles on non-monogamy and queer theory, Marxism and feminism, his college notebooks, journals, essay drafts, old newspapers and magazines, flyers and pamphlets, song lists from his DJ days, everything to do with the gay study group at Columbia, not to mention record albums, cassette tapes, books, letters, items of clothing, his stash of political campaign buttons, a veritable time capsule of his life and the life they shared in New York in the 1980s. This is G.P. Gottlieb, host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. And today I'm talking to Patrick Horrigan about his moving novel, American Scholar. It's about memory, queer love, first love, being gay during the onslaught of AIDS in the 1980s. And it's also the story of a famous Harvard historian and literary critic who had to hide his love affair with a man and who ultimately took his own life. Protagonist James Fitzgerald is in a happy but open marriage to a wonderful man, has a beautiful young boyfriend, and he's just had a novel published to great acclaim. But when he's handed a letter written by his first love, the volcanic Gregory, who, like the scholar on whose life Jimmy's novel is based, also took his own life, Jimmy falls into a vortex of memories. Hi, Patrick. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Galit. Thank you for having me. So your novel is, in a nutshell, about a historian who takes his own life based on a friend of the author who takes his own life. Is it based? Did you base this on something that happened to you in your life? Uh, yes, I did. Um, the The novel was inspired by um, a relationship I had uh, with someone when I was a graduate student. 
Um, he was actually my first serious boyfriend. And while I was dating him, at the same time, I was doing research on a famous um, academic named F.O. Matheson, who was a Harvard professor in the 1930s and 40s. And the more I started learning about Matheson, the more sort of uncanny parallels I started seeing between Matheson and my boyfriend. And I wanted to understand what that coincidence meant. And that was really the inspiration for this novel. But that inspiration occurred to me over 30 years ago. That is so interesting. So there's a little bit of a um, autobiographical com component to it. Yes. So James, who is a little bit based on Patrick, yes, his first love is Gregory. Your mm -hmm. novel opens with James holding onto Gregory's boxes, although Gregory's long gone. What's going mm -hmm. on there? So, so the novel switches between the present, which in the novel is is. 2016 and the past which is the late 1980s and by the by by 2016 as you said gregory is long gone and james james is holding on to gregory's uh, remains his papers his books and other artifacts um and james is now married his husband fran wants to get rid of the boxes and make space for perhaps a, a baby and uh, James doesn't want to let go of the boxes, although he thinks he has really moved on from this old love affair with, with Gregory. And part of the drama of the novel is sort of peeling back the layers of James's consciousness and starting to understand just what impact, long-term impact, this relationship with Gregory has had on him over the past 30 or so years. Mm -hmm. Can you say something about the gay study group at Columbia and the role it plays in Jimmy's life? Yes. Um, so James, who calls himself Jimmy as a young man, uh, enters graduate school in the late 1980s at Columbia University, and as did I. Um, and he joins a gay men's reading group organized by a young man named Gregory. And this is the first time in Jimmy's life where he enters a community of other gay men. And importantly, it's a community that's that exists not in a, a bar or a club. It's a community that that exists uh, in a university setting. It's about coming together to discuss books and ideas and to learn about gay history. And this really opens Jimmy's eyes to a lot of things about himself, about gay history, about the gay community. And he also starts dating Gregory. So it it, it becomes the, the, the place where he starts to find real love for the first time. And, and that is very much reflective of my own experience when I was a graduate student in the 1980s. Mm. And he also meets the whole cast of characters of, of guys that will be his close, close friends. He hears, that's where he hears Gregory and Bill bantering, and he admires how they talk to each other. Why, why hasn't he ever learned, as he says, how gay men talk? Mm, that's a great question. Um, I think growing up gay, uh, especially 
uh, of of people my generation. I was born in 1963, um, so you know I was I grew up with with either no images of gay men or the few that did come my way were very uh, negative and stereotypical. Um, so you're you really grow up in a desert uh, as a gay or lesbian child. Um, and so you don't see reflections of yourself in the world around you. And, and your life is often not acknowledged by your own family um, at home. So, uh, so that's one reason why uh, Jimmy, you know, he's never been around other openly gay men. So he doesn't really know how they relate to each other. He knows he himself is gay and he's had some gay experiences in college, but he hasn't really started to live an adult life as an openly gay man. And he's just starting to do that. Um, I'll just, I'll just give you a, a, a little brief anecdote from my own experience. I remember when I was a freshman in college, um, I was in some, some discussion group with a bunch of kids, guys and girls. And there was this one boy in the group who was uh, in the drama department. I think his name was Joe. And I remember the way he was sitting in a chair. He was sitting with his legs crossed and he looked so comfortable in his body. And I looked at him and I just thought, wow, I've never seen a, a young man so at ease with his body like that. And it really just struck me again, because I'd never seen a young man like that. Um, and so I think that's where Jimmy's Jimmy's uh, surprise is coming from when he meets Gregory and Bill and sees them interacting with each other. I thought it was fascinating how you uh, how he slowly learns and how you phrased his learning experiences. It was really uh, lovely and. I, I didn't know. So it was wonderful mm. to read that. Mm. So there's a lot of, uh, there are a lot of references to 1980s songs interspersed throughout the no novel, <laughs> most of which I'm unfamiliar with because I stopped listening to popular music before the seventies were over. Can you talk about how you chose some of these songs? Like for example, why include the Smiths reel around the fountain? Mm. So um, I mentioned that, I had this boyfriend in graduate school. His name was Gary, and he introduced me to the Smiths. He was a big Smiths fan, and he admired the Smiths because the lead singer, Morrissey, uh, who is a gay man, um, Gary always felt that he wrote he wrote very intelligently about his experience as a gay man. And um, I remember Gary playing a Smith song in one of the study group meetings at Columbia um, back in the 80s. And so I use that in the novel. Um, it's a it's a song about a, a, a kind of ambiguous attraction between two boys. And it's it's poetic, so you're not exactly sure what's going on, but there's a, a sense that the the singer is in love with with someone who is basically unavailable and maybe even slightly abusive, and the song kind of explores a, a dark side of of sexual longing, um, which I think is is a component of sexuality for a lot of people, gay and straight. Um, it's a it's a fascinating song. And um, so in the novel, uh, 
Gregory plays the song in the in the discussion group, and then the group starts to talk about it. And it tensions start to rise because the song raises some uncomfortable questions about about sexuality that people are not quite ready to address. Mm-hmm. Jimmy's marriage is struggling because Fran, as you said, wants children, but it's 2016. Jimmy is about is in his 50s. Yes. Too old, he thinks. But they've been together a long time. Why are they having this argument now? Mm. They're having this argument now because Fran, who's about 10 or 15 years younger than than James, I forget exactly how much younger I made him, but he's he's significantly younger. He's approaching 40 and he feels that now is the time to start raising a child if they're going to do it. And he's also kind of pressing on this issue just when James has a new book out. And there's some tension between them over uh, James's kind of absorption in his work. Uh, James thinks about his books as his children and, and Fran isn't satisfied with that. That's not enough for Fran. Um, so th- those are some of the reasons why they're having this conflict now. So we don't really even, uh, we don't see much of Fran, but I got to say, I'm kind of upset on his behalf because mm-hmm. I, I, apparently they agreed to an open marriage, but how does how does Fran tolerate knowing that James has someone younger on the side? Well, we also learned that Fran had at least one affair uh, at some point in the early years of their marriage. Open relationships are not uncommon among gay men. And one of the one of the, I think, contributions that gay men have made to the larger culture is to kind of open up our understanding of sexuality and relationships in general, um, including married relationships. So um they've they've learned to tolerate it uh in both in both directions um but you also see that they they kind of protect each other from from certain things like uh James doesn't doesn't reveal to Fran that he's seen him that he's seen his boyfriend that night Fran knows the boyfriend exists but James mm-hmm. doesn't go into the details um and 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 there's probably some ambivalence on James's part about having this this other relationship but they're 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 trying to work it out and um I, I wanted to depict this relationship as as a kind of in a, in a realistic way as a as a healthy adult but complex mm-hmm. uh, gay male marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you you've succeeded in that. Um, another musical question: Did you bring up "Merrily We Roll Along," one of sometimes less successful but now running again musicals? Yes. Because it's really about changing lives and relationships kind of like your characters in American Scholar. Can you talk about that? Yes. Um, Merrily, uh, as you said, is about the changing uh, relationships among a group of friends over a period of 25 or so years. But the story is told backward. So it begins in in what was the present when the show came out in 1981, where the characters are middle-aged and, and kind of unhappy. 
And it, it gradually goes back to the late 1950s, where we see them in their early 20s, full of hope and exuberance. Um, and I, I use Merrily in the novel in a couple of different ways. Uh, we learn at a certain point that Jimmy was in a production of Merrily in college with his best friend, Juliet. Um, and they are still friends 30 years later. And as middle-aged people, they reflect on their younger selves. Um, yeah, I mean the no that 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 musical is is almost like a a template for for my novel American Scholar. I mean, mm -hmm. my novel isn't told backward, but it switches between the past and the present constantly. So you're you're always reflecting on the relationship between these characters as young people in their twenties and as middle aged people in their fifties. So the novel your character writes, called American Scholar, just as your novel is called, it's mm -hmm. a novel within a novel, as we've uh, already discussed. It's about yeah. this historian, literary critic, scholar, F.O. Mathiasen. I thought he would, I don't, yeah, I don't Mathis, pronounce it correctly. Mathiasen. And his art artist lover, Russell Cheney. Right. Can you introduce those, the story, explain what drew you in? You even wrote your own dissertation about it. I did, yes. So to say more. Yeah, so I was, one of the first courses I took at Columbia University was an American literature course. It was a 19th century lit course. And the professor recommended Matheson's book, which is called American Renaissance, as a kind of foundational text for understanding the 19th century. And uh, that book is still used, it's taught, it's in print. Uh, a lot has been written about it. Of course, scholarship has moved way beyond that book. It was published in 1941. So a lot has happened in the field of American studies since then, but it's still considered an important text. Um, and, and in a nutshell, Matheson's thesis is that the greatest writing ever produced in this country happened in the 1850s. Hmm. And he and he uh, has a, a an argument for why that is, and he focuses on five key writers: uh, Emerson, Thoreau, Hawthorne, Melville, and Whitman. So um, the book fascinated me, and then the more I got to know about Matheson and his life, uh, he fascinated me. He was a socialist. Uh, in the early part of the 20th century, he was, as you mentioned, a gay man in a long-term relationship uh, with an artist 20 years his senior. Um, he suffered from mental illness and ultimately killed himself in 1950. And I you know, discovered Matheson at a point in my development where I was just coming out. I was discovering uh, this new field of American studies. I was charting my professional course in academia. I was in love for the first time. I had started therapy for the first time and was really starting to analyze my own experience. So Matheson was both for me, a role model, but also a cautionary tale because his life ended tragically. Mm -hmm. And I I found him so compelling and so fascinating. Um, uh, there was an edition of his letters 
of the letters between Matheson and his partner, Russell Cheney, that was published in the late 70s. And I got my hands on that when I was in graduate school. And I just found it riveting. Um, the letters are passionate. They're, they're interesting. Uh, it really just sort of uh, shows you what a real gay relationship looks like, even though this was a, a gay relationship from, from the early part of the 20th century, it, it seemed very fresh and alive to me. Um, and, and Matheson was very influential uh, in so many ways. He's, he's, he's justly seen as a kind of founding father in the field of American studies, very complex um, figure. Um, so I just wanted to know more about him. And uh, I, as you said, I wrote about him in my dissertation um, and, and he's featured uh, in this novel, American Scholar. Mm -hmm. I meant to ask earlier, I forgot, what role do the sex scenes play in the novel for you? Well, I think one of the one of the things that that queer folk come to terms with when when they discover who they are and start to live their lives as openly gay or lesbian or bi is you have to you have to understand the the meaning of sex in your life. Um, this is something that our parents don't teach us. We have to find it out for ourselves. Um, and so in the case of Jimmy in the novel, uh, he's really a neophyte when it comes to sex. He's had very little sexual experience and he's also becoming sexually active in the 1980s during that is during the worst years of the AIDS epidemic and that's another thing that this novel is really trying to look at what was the experience of that generation of gay men who came of age as sexual beings when the AIDS epidemic hit it's a it's a kind of terrible accident of history to be 20 years old when there's a deadly sexually transmitted virus going around. Oh, um, yes, exactly for people like, yes. Yeah. I, I can't imagine how horrifying that must have been for you. Right. And so Jimmy, Jimmy is very uptight sexually, um, but he's, he's very attracted to Gregory and he wants to be close to him and intimate with him, but he has to negotiate that. Um, and then I think the novel also kind of looks at the long-term implications for James of having come of age at that moment in history. Mm -hmm. There's a way in which those tr early traumatic experiences around sex still affect James into his middle age. Yeah. Um, can you address the importance of place, the house Gregory lived in, New York City, the room where they held the study group, et cetera? Yes. Uh, well, I'm a New Yorker, and um, New York inspires a lot of what I write. Um, the contemporary scenes in the novel are really rooted uh, in the city in the sense that James is kind of wandering throughout the city between the hours of 9 p.m. and 2 a.m. the next morning. 
and he's ruminating about his relationship with Gregory. And as you mentioned, he visits the house where Gregory used to live at one point. Um, and New York City kind of anchors James's memories of his past, of his relationship with Gregory. Um, and I, I also feel that there's something mysterious about place. And, and this comes out in the book as well. Uh, James, James is planning to write his next book about the, the, the very notion of place. Uh, he wants to write a book of essays that sort of chart his development from the house he grew up in to the home he has made with his husband and other kind of famous places in American literature in between. So a kind of mix of autobiography and cultural history. Um, and, you know, this is, a, this is a book that in some other life I could write. Uh, I mean, I've always been fascinated by architecture, uh, dollhouses. Uh, for me, it, 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 it goes very deep. And uh, I have a superstition about place. I, I feel, and, and James feels in the novel, that, that places retain traces of the life that was led in them, the people that lived in them. Mm -hmm. So um, what are you working on next? A book, architecture, place? <laughs> Actually, I'm, I'm working on a book that has to do with music. Ooh, say more. Uh, Yes, I'm writing a novel about uh, a piano teacher and one of her pupils, and it traces their relationship from the time her pupil is about five until he goes off to college around the age of 18 or 19. She's a middle-aged woman, but she watches this boy grow up. And there's there's a lot that's not spoken in their mm. relationship because their relationship is really focused on music. But we, we see their lives intertwining over a period of about uh, 13 years. And it takes place in the 1970s. Um, so that's that's what I'm working on right now. It sounds so interesting. The music, you got me. Classical music, maybe? Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Um, Patrick, it was so lovely talking to you. I wish you the best of luck in American Scholar and books to come. Thank you so much, Galit. It's really been a pleasure to talk to you. And thanks for joining me. Again, this is J.P. Gottlieb, author of the Whipped and Sipped Mystery Series and host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, I've been talking to Patrick Horrigan about his novel, American Scholar. Hope you all have a great book to cuddle up with today and always. Happy reading.